the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomCastPod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can follow me at Jokes on Drew. All right, we are in the middle of February. Oscar season for the films of 2019 are already in the rear view. The Sundance Film Festival has come and gone, and so now it seemed like the perfect opportunity to kind of Take stock, uh, do a State of the Union, Netflix edition, of course. And I thought this would be a great idea and a great time to seek out our friends uh, at the Mike, Mike, and Oscar podcast. Uh, the frequent uh, guests that I've had here, also Mike, one of the co-hosts from that show, uh, has been a person who was on the Marriage Story episode, the Okja episode, uh, has done a terrific job, and... I reached out to them, and I thought this would be a good time for us to kind of take the long view here, uh, assess what happened in 2019 for Netflix, all the, the films that came out through them, the the corresponding awards campaigns that happened from for some of those movies, and basically start to look ahead, maybe see what came out from Sundance what what have they done what's their strategy did they have to change anything based on maybe not doing so well at the Oscars so we kind of take a bigger look kind of get excited for some of the films in 2020 uh, and obviously the Mike Mike and Oscar guys which is a great movie podcast that kind of keeps the the Oscar season alive all year round these guys are the perfect guys to talk to so I'm glad that we are able to sit down and and kind of do this together and, and really got a lot of great content so I hope you guys enjoy this when you're not listening to the nomcast of course definitely check out their podcast it is amazing and check them out uh, of course obviously like and subscribe them on wherever you get podcasts but if you want to find them on socials uh, on Twitter they are at mm and Oscar and on Instagram they are at Mike Mike and Oscar so please do yourself a favor seek them out they have a great podcast I listen all the time they usually put out multiple episodes a week and during Oscar season they get the big time guests all the best critics across the country plus actors uh you know you name it everything you want for Oscar season they do it so seek them out of course, if you don't already, maybe you're listening because you're a fan of Also Mike and their podcast. Uh, maybe you're here for that. So thank you for listening, of course. But if you would, please rate, review, subscribe, like us, do all the things for the Nomcast wherever you get podcasts as well. So thanks again. This was an absolute delight. Uh, I had such a great time as I always do with Also Mike. So Hope you guys enjoy this one. Here it is, the State of the Union Netflix edition. Give a listen. So this, this is a cool idea for a podcast, something I was thinking about doing with you later in the year. I can't believe, like you showed me so many more resources on the internet sure. where I can find Netflix stuff now, the whole slate. 
And it, I should have known like Wikipedia, but it, it <laughs> Wikipedia has a great entry there. The Silent Mistress. Now we know <laughs> there are so many Netflix movies because I was getting worried. Like I, I only have three to five. I don't know, so I did right. more research, and then like, all right, I could stretch it like seven to eight. But I think there's like you know at least a dozen, a hot dozen. Yeah. Where there, you know, the, these movies look look the part and quacking like oscar ducks or whatever right as i like to say which is a strange <laughs> thing but uh last year looking at that slate there were so many and there were then there were so many that were contending for like the big award shows yeah. not just the oscars but from the indie spirits all the way through like the big four you know bafta at the end of it right and th- so i was wondering if we were gonna have the same slate next year as we have this year it seems like it yeah i mean the the names are different i don't it's going to be hard to to match the pedigree maybe of some of these although there are some large big names names that are going to come through and we can get to that in a moment but i mean they they're coming off i i think that the key thing to look out now because you just had sundance end Mm -hmm. so you're going to see a certain slate and they're obviously neck deep in the streaming wars yeah so they're they're contending with just trying to stay relevant not trying to lose subscribers trying to keep their stock prices up that's like goal one and then just let hopefully these names that will come across kind of speak for themselves and keep people active on the platform because right now we're dealing with some of the sundance movies that came out you got some uh, retread things like uh, like a to all the boys I love before type of thing, which I'll be recording tonight. Uh, uh, what so, a world that I would know. be if that was an Oscar movie, Mike. If if you want to see the come down, and I mean you're probably experiencing it yourself, you know the turnaround from yep. like year end into the new year. I'm going from a December or like November into December of the Irishman, mm-hmm. Marriage Story, the Two Popes. <laughs> And and even just for funsies, uh, Six Underground, Michael Bay to like as right. a palate cleanser, mm-hmm. and then I have to turn around and go, "Am I going to cover this Tyler Perry movie right now? Like that? That's a bad place to be." It so, did not do well, but the, no. to all the boys, at least is watchable. I kind of yeah. gave it a middling review, but you're right. I, I did the Oscar movie after Oscar movie study. Yeah, that was my experience throughout the the, the first month and a half. Yeah. of uh, of twenty twenty, and I refused to watch twenty twenty movies until I was done. Yeah, and I was just going back, going back, going back, watching my almost three hundred movies this right. year. And I turned the page last week. I watched like twelve. 2020 movies <laughs> yeah like five of them were on netflix and they were fun like miss americana was a yeah. fun watch and, yeah and to all the boys was a fun watch uppity the yeah. willie t rib story another one that i would i would hope has some at least you know awards buzz at some point because sure. it's really strong doc and you mentioned so many movies coming in in the pre-production today that i'm really excited to talk about later but i was hoping we'd we'd get into last year's slate because last year's slate Almost every month of the year, they had something. Like February, yeah. you had High Flying Bird that had legs for Indie Spirit Best Screenplay. Yeah. You love that movie. I loved it. I, I'm 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 a Soderbergh fan, but even still, I would say that in the last few years, I think he's been more experimental mm-hmm. and, and maybe not getting to the heartbeat of what he does well, which is putting people in the right position and making a movie just cook. Mm-hmm. Like just a, a tight... 140 to two hour just jaunt like uh this movie 
you know, not to get too into High Flying Bird, but I mean, <laughs> the mo- every movie the, I bring up, yes, yeah, please. I know. <laughs> it's it's a movie that surrounds like an NBA lockout, but it moves like Ocean's Eleven. So it if you, it's it really cooks like a Steven Soderbergh, like the height of Steven Soderbergh, and then obviously he tried to do again a little bit more experimentation with the laundromat later in the year which you know even for that we we did we talked about that one on my podcast mm-hmm. that that was a big ticket movie for netflix that Meryl just did Streep. absolutely nothing no it didn't have the goods unfortunately but it kind of you know put a feather in the cap of antonio banderas and meryl streep's oscar chances and they won over steve steven soderbergh over yes. the last year by you know basically spending big money on his his dream projects on his experimentation, which is a really cool place for Netflix yeah, to be. Yeah, and then he went right to Apple on <laughs> his next movie. Yeah, they did a but, great job. You know of what? At least they're movies. doing that for a lot of great <laughs> filmmakers out yeah. there. They're they're winning. They're buying the young people stuff. They're, yeah. they're putting the money down for that, and they're also you know funding like all these passion projects. Yeah, and they did that with Alfonso Caron two years ago. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, you know, looking down the slate, you had an interesting May. You had Knock Down the House, that mm-hmm. documentary that did some Critics' Choice Documentary Awards, Cinema Eye Awards, which I thought was one of my top five documentaries on the year. Mm-hmm. Then you had the Zach Efron movie, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly <laughs> yeah. Evil, and Vile, which was getting Oscar buzz in May. People's Choice noms and National Film and Television Best Horror Thriller was kind of its ceiling. Yeah, I mean, uh, as far as you, you remember the cycle of last year, not even for Netflix, a lot of us were just straight bored. For <laughs> for probably a good six months, I think once upon a time really kicked the season July. into gear, and and we weren't bored because we did the rewatch series leading up to that. We filled sure. the gaps. We yeah, were, that was that. Was this is something sense. I can't do, buddy. <laughs> so so I, unless I you know I I was very tempted to do one with Scorsese, just kind of like get a sure. top five thing or something. But that seemed the, to be something everybody was. I think doing. all the Daniel Craig Bonds are on Netflix now. Oh, that would be. Lovely. I was like yeah. you know <laughs> isolating all my Bond movies for the James Bond character study we're about to do. Shameless right. plug. Yeah, and uh, I was like, at least I don't have to buy these five. You yes. Know, Daniel Craig movies, but they, they do th- cool stuff like that where you're right. They put like five of uh, Scorsese's earlier pictures up yeah. there, and I'm always tempted to. And at least it was relevant. My yes. my podcast is all Netflix original movies, so I try That's to right. keep it to that. But sometimes I will cheat mm-hmm. and kind of go like uh, when we did the Michael Bay episode yep. for for Six Underground. It was like here's our top five Bay movies plus. We're going to do a full breakdown on on Six Underground. So sometimes you get to cheat. Bong Joon-ho, Snowpiercer's sure. up there. Yeah, Oak yeah. we talked there. about Yeah, Definitely. exactly. So June comes along, and we think Martin Scorsese is going to have the year of years. Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese comes out. Yeah. National Board of Review, Top 5 Docs, Three Critics' Choice Doc Noms. It looked like you know this was going to be the documentary contender. It wasn't meant to be. The Edge, no. of, the Edge of Democracy also came out in June, just like Under the Radar. Yeah, and then nobody watched it. I didn't watch it. it. It was barely talked about. It was on my radar, but it wasn't something that was you know keeping film Twitter a buzz. In July, Mike reviews The Great Hack. He says this is a really strong documentary. It's strange how they they rolled out all these docs and which one hits, which one doesn't. August, American Factory comes out, gets a lot of praise, kind of gets all the Critics Association awards. I think they picked the right ones when it came to awards. So of the uh, four. uh, The Great Hack is extremely terrifying as as an American and a human being. But, my God, is the person they center around this awful? To watch and awful to keep up with mm-hmm. and just uh, 
it it doesn't everybody's flawed and she's not even interesting as far as the the person who is kind of like the whistleblower of the whole uh system that was used for the facebook skeletons uh, in her skeleton. closet no doubt and she admits yeah. it but so of those four docs you think they picked the right two with the edge of Absolutely. democracy and american factory yeah. but it's cool that those were coming out over the summer yeah and who knows I, I, we're going to talk about their next year's slate coming up but uh, i'm hoping that they do the same thing roll out these oscar movies throughout the year i'm going to pay closer attention this year yeah because of last year no question sure so we finally get in the fall dolomite is my name just tickles our fancy yeah our collective yeah fancy. that was an october release right you know you covered the hell out of that mike and i saw it and reviewed it oscar sprint profile but the ceiling for dolomite unfortunately was two globe noms critics choice a lot of festivals yeah costume design short li- short list but it didn't get through it got murphy back on the map and for netflix they're gonna be in his camp doing the beverly hills cop sequel that's coming up so i mean they got what they wanted out of that uh they just hoped for maybe a slight bit of more mileage on that like maybe a golden globe win versus just a nomination they paid for it but they won the eddie murphy sweepstakes another huge talent and and he's back on snl he's doing the work for them definitely and honestly well we can get to it a little Mm -hmm. bit later but we touched upon it when we did the marriage story episode for years Mm -hmm. was what keeps people on the platform guess what dolomite does because there's a whole section of like People will stay because of Eddie Murphy and what's going to come up for him yep. more than Noah Bomback. Sorry, Noah Bomback. I love you too. But, like, you know, as far as what's going to keep subscriber base, Eddie Murphy's the guy. He's a big ticket. And that was one of my favorite movies to show people this year. Like, yeah. I would go to the parents uh, for Thanksgiving, and totally. m- me and my dad yeah. are watching that at night, and we're both laughing like idiots. Yeah, yeah. We always let it. Let oh, you're saying that's easier than the movie about divorce or the three and a half hour movie uh, showing the, the long. Uh, history of a mobster on his deathbed. Yeah, okay, a little bit, a little yeah. bit. And uh, <laughs> although I remember we talked about marriage story and how I showed it to my younger brother who yeah. just got through the worst <laughs> breakup of his life. Kid <laughs> <laughs> cry, poor twenty-one-year-old kid there. But uh, yeah, twenty-two now. Oh my god, I'm so old. So <laughs> November comes along and they have a bunch of potential contenders. They have the King, the Timothy Chalamet yes. yeah. movie. They have Claws, which was a bit under the radar at the time as yeah. an Oscar nom or an Oscar definite. Yeah, but that would become you know an Oscar nom and a BAFTA winner and seven Annies and like yeah. the sleeper animated hit of the year. I know you think it's wildly overrated, so I'll, I'll keep my I like <laughs> my it. pride for it uh, a little. But well, that's cool. The animation is unbelievable. Yes, they is. went back to the classic hand drawn animation. Mm-hmm. They went out of their way to do so. They found studios that have been almost defunct. To get back to this style that I love so much, it had almost like an Iron Giant feel to it in terms of the look, but like an updated version. And the guy coming over is the guy who started Despicable Me. So like you had the pedigree, like you you kind of been saying, or we said a lot in the pre-show, is like they're into creators. They want to get in bed with the best people out there if they can lure them over to do it. And I think this was a home run for Netflix. It was the talk of the you know the Christmas season. I mean, it's better than them, what they did with uh, Kurt Russell and doing Christmas Chronicles the year before. So, I mean, they're improving. They're getting more prestigious with it, too. And, I mean, they're going to have their equivalency to, like, lifetime movie dumps, too. But this movie was a, a huge deal. And to get all awards was just gravy on top. I wonder if their future ideal is something like Claws, where it's something Mm. that plays to mass audiences 
that also racks up awards, yeah. gives them prestige, gives them you know legitimacy and credibility, yeah. but also you know the algorithm is very happy, yeah. and it, or at least it spreads around the algorithm where that's what they want anyway. They want right. people watching Netflix, and Claus is, is got, gets kids, it gets adults, it gets nerds like you and me. Yeah. The Irishman's probably another version of that because yes. it's the big ticket item and everybody watches at least 10 minutes of it. But, <laughs> yes. pro- you know, all of us. Chris love- Rock stealing everyone's joke where it's like I'm on episode two of The Irishman. <laughs> everybody right. was, you know, kind of feeding into that. Still hit me funny. Yeah. Uh, but you also have niche stuff like I Lost My Body, another animated film yeah. wound up with an Oscar nom, ton of noms throughout award season. Yeah. Atlantic was right after The Irishman. Yeah. I remember watching both of those in the same weekend. I Lost My Body in Atlantic. So it was quite the double feature actually yeah. on Netflix, which was really fun. Yeah. Critics' Choice nom. Uh, Atlantics, I think it got Golden Globe or something, but it, it definitely got some yes, I believe you know, so. love throughout awards season. It made the shortlist, the Oscar shortlist, but didn't get in. December comes along, we have Marriage Story, we have the two popes, we have heavy hitters. Yeah. And that's quite the year. That Again, that's like eight or nine months out of the year where they're getting awards-worthy movies. Yeah. Which means I have to come on your show more, <laughs> which means that we have to yeah. do more collaborations with you coming on our show for sure. Of course. So was this expected? You know, you you looked at Netflix building up to Mudbound and, and movies like that. You knew yeah, the Irishman no was coming down the pike, Beast of No Nation, but it was... It was the exception, not the rule, for Netflix to just go so hard at the Oscars. And here they are just dropping a movie almost every month that's going to contend. Were you you expecting them to, with the the, the big buys they were making, with the $20 billion content grab, to go this route? Well, I started my podcast kind of reading the tea leaves saying, okay, Listen, they got the Coen brothers to make a movie on Netflix, which was like a big deal for me. It grabbed me after they already had some success previously. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's a huge get for them. And then when you know right around the corner, you know, Roma's going to be in contention. Mm -hmm. They had the bird box phenomenon, whether you like the movie or not. I don't, but that's fine. But the so you had that phenomenon going on. Then you know later on in the year there's not there's going to be not one but two Steven Soderbergh movies coming out. You know the Irishman's in production. You know Noah Baumbach's going to like. So once you start hearing these dominoes falling, I'm like, this is the studio to watch, and I want that to sink in too. People don't treat Netflix as a studio, but they are the studio right now as far as the slate because what we were just talking about about what would make Netflix happy. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as any other studio. You want they're gonna put out a kids movie. They're gonna put out prestigious Oscar stuff. They're gonna put out like if anything, they're just this monolith that puts out every single thing instead of just having right. these. You know, if, if you're Fox or you're Disney or you're something like, a lot of times you would have Ooh, Fox. I know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they're gone, but you know, sorry, Searchlight. But yeah. I'm just saying, in the past, you always had like this major corporation who does this type of movie well, but then they would have these minor studios, your Dimensions, your Miramax, your whoever is owned by the larger company, but this is what you do, so go and do that. Netflix is just literally doing all of them. All of it. And then all of it for the fact that they have to have as broader reach to compete with all these other streaming services, which you know are in the game, but not as much in the game uh, on certain things. So they're just trying to be like, 
We can't compete with Disney, but look, we can also do animation. We can't compete with the money of Amazon mm-hmm. overall, though some say it's close. But I would say Bezos obviously is running things uh, a little bit better because they have other things to to prop them up. Netflix okay. has nothing but this, right? So they did. They had a head start. But they still have to compete. So there's a lot of things that they have to do right now to try to be awards contenders, uh, satisfying to the general, the, the average person, satisfied to children, satisfied to, like every single genre they're in on the game. And I wonder if all of the seeds they've been planting over the last few years, just like this past 2019 Oscar season where they harvested Novo Bombback after yeah. the Meyerowitz stories of a year before, Love where yeah. after you know the Rolling Thunder review and financing that for Scorsese in conjunction with the Irishman, yeah. you know, they get the harvest of the Irishman's 10 noms. They were the most nominated studio last year yeah. at the Oscars with 24 total noms, three movies with multiple, uh, eight movies total. They had... Again, they had uh, ten movies on the short list. Yep. Uh, that uh, the seven that got in, plus uh, three more that didn't get in, with like the Great Hack, etc. Yeah. The four big precursor shows. They had ten movies there. So I'm sorry, they had twelve movies in the short list, and then ten movies in the big four precursors. That is so. Right. I, I, those were long paragraphs of stats <laughs> I had that I wanted to get out quickly so that we can keep moving here. But they had an awesome award season. They didn't necessarily win everything they only had no only two wins two wins on the night american factory and of course supporting actress laura dern there but i wonder if all of the seeds they've planted this past year are going to bloom in in the next two years yeah i think everyone because we just went through how big a slate they had and and how many contenders they had Mm -hmm. that you know sometimes that's a great thing to have it kind of puts them on the map like hey maybe Maybe the the awards voters don't hate Netflix as much anymore. Maybe they've gotten they've garnered more attention. They're going to be more accepted. They're more relevant. They keep getting more and more people into the fold because they keep making more and more people's uh, productions. Absolutely. So you're you're getting that to go. So the momentum's going through there. Now you have to see whether they actually get the relevance that they want. Because obviously they're chasing a best picture. So even though they're getting Academy Award winners and they can hang their hat on those, it's not enough, I think, for them. I, uh, my big thing going into the Oscars this year was if the Irishman didn't win. Mm-hmm. And again, this was months before, before you started to see where it was kind of paring down. But if you don't see Irishman win... Is Netflix going to kind of pull out of the prestige game? Because you're seeing something that costs that amount of money to get that type of director and and get this much attention. They went full force. They were at every festival. You had all these guys kind of doing their victory lap. You know, like all these heavy hitters, De Niro, Pesci, and and you got Pesci out doing doing festivals (laughs) and and sort of taking questions. I've seen some of them where it was like he would just answer one word or two word answers, or he just wouldn't answer at all. He's like, yeah, whatever, get away from me. Funny how. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was that equivalent, (laughs) but like to these like uh, hoity-toity French festivals or something. So you have that going on, and I thought it's going to take the air out of the balloon. Like, if they don't get it, then they're just going to go, well, we'll try to hang in the game, but we're not going to chase this. Right. 
Now, mind you, you can't stop the ball from rolling going into 2020, so that's why you're still going to see some big-time directors uh, or things that they had in the works pay off coming into this year already. Mm-hmm. But now I'm kind of seeing their slate and and the reaction of all of it, and I don't think they care. I think they're just they're still chasing it. I th- I don't I think they're in it, and I was saying this to you in the pre-show. I think they're except for the fact that they lost. Mm-hmm. I think they're tickled pink that Parasite won, and not something like 1917. Something that they they if they had to turn around and go, oh Jesus, now we have to make a war movie. Mm-hmm. Now we have to make some large scale thing, like say a Ford versus Ferrari war, or something else that cost in the range of what Irishman costs. Right, they would be like. Jesus, we're going to keep spending all this money forever. There's a path to victory with parasites of the world for them in that they have already mastered. Yeah. They've already, you know, capitalized on, you know, the Bong Joon-ho type movies, on the international movies, yeah. on the indie movies, on the 10-11 million dollar budget movies yeah. in the past, like I said, planting those seeds and harvesting them already. They already have that path to victory down. Yeah. They know how to win those games. Yeah. Now, obviously they need the right movie and I think this is something we talked with Scott Feinberg about a couple of times now, both years, Netflix just—they just haven't had the right movie yet. Yeah. I think at yeah. the end of the day, you thought The Irishman would be it. You thought Marriage Story could be it, right? Yeah, and Roma had a good chance the year mm-hmm. before. But I think for anyone uh, before this year, uh, you would kind of go, "It's an international feature. It's not the best thing to bring to the table." Eventually, it might lose some steam, especially because it's a tough watch. It's right. a tough sit. It's People not respect an easy... it more than they love it. Sure. It's not like watching The Farewell. It's not like something to where it's like, oh, this is Definitely difficult, not. but it's fun. It's got some, you know, larger than life kind of characterizations, things like that. Roma's a tough sit. It's a very personal story. It's black and white. It's, you know, it's a lot to deal with if you're coming in where we're seeing, obviously, maybe a more of a love for international feature come this year. But this is what I'm saying. They're kind of a year behind. They're learning lessons, and then they're moving on, trying to get the best they could do. But that's every studio, unfortunately. And they're building goodwill, and they're competing with, you know, not only putting money on the table, but with freedom on the table and creative freedom on the table. And they're doing that year after year as they shepherd these projects. I wonder if the parasites of the world will come to them down the line because the parasites of the world can still make 160 million at the box office yeah. or whatever it's going to make it might top out at 185 worldwide at the end of the day sure i wonder if those movies like the farewell that says all right let's co- co- you know do 10 times our budget for a24 yeah. i wonder if a24 and neon still have an edge on netflix at the end of the day where this is this is a person that's already established their career they they are, yeah. they don't need the visibility now which netflix could provide right so this might be a hardball question for you because because you're, you're, you're covering Netflix throughout the year. I wonder if you think they're at a bit of a disadvantage in that regard to getting the next theatrical phenomenon mm. movie to come to your streaming platform. Yeah, I mean, if they, but to me, if they can get the, the auteurs like mm-hmm. a Scorsese and a, everybody has their passion project, right? right? So 
it seems like they've dialed into that for certain guys. You got Quaron, Scorsese, like things that nobody would have had made. And now this year, we'll talk about it in a minute, but you got Finchers coming into this year with Mank. Right. Mank's a very personal story to him, but it is also kind of like a bigger Hollywood story too. So that kind of like has an interesting crossover. But it's, nobody's going to make a black and white movie about, you know, yeah. Orson, in Orson Welles' time. It's hard for the passion project to become the international movie of the year that everybody's yes. talking about yeah. like Parasite, that you probably need that perfect storm to happen, but like Moonlight, is, to become the yeah. best picture, to win that big. But these are the blocks that they have to build. Yes. They're building on a foundation of, well, we got Fincher in the house with House of Cards. Mm-hmm. We got him in the house to do Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. He wants to get back into features, but he'll only do this. If this works, then you might get Fincher for the next however many years. Same thing with Soderbergh. They thought, okay, we're going to give him two features. Two, if you took, uh, you know, to another studio and said, I'm Steven Soderbergh and I would like to make a movie about the NBA lockout, they'd go, I don't care who you are, get the hell out of here. And then, oh, but I'm going to, don't worry, I'm going to follow it up with something about the Panama Papers or, you know, and try to. They're saying we want to get in the Steven Soderbergh business. Yeah. Because it's it's a seed we'll plant now, it's an investment we'll make now, and it'll pay off later, we'll harvest it later to mix my metaphors, to do a And And like you said, Bong Joon-ho already was part of that with Oak and, Good relationship you know, with and they're and they're i mean obviously they didn't get parasite but imagine if because they planted that seed that parasite goes there next especially because the international reach that's that's where they're hitting home runs right now anyway they're hitting home runs with international they're hitting home runs with documentary yep. and they've always been great with that mm-hmm. and now obviously in a weaker year with animation they had two in in two. the conversation and one of them was an international <laughs> animation so you're seeing the cross section so i mean they got a lot to deal with uh because they're trying to hit all the fronts but big best picture uh like i said you, you're looking at the parasite thing and it's like okay cool now we only have to make something for 20 to 50 million mm-hmm. look at what one best picture this decade I went back. I mean, like every single movie is something in that ten in that to fifty million dollar shape of water. Twenty Moonlight Indie. Yeah, yeah Green, Green, Book. Green Book. Yeah, I mean, there's no big splashy thing that's won in the last decade. The uh, Irishman that you got at even Argo probably right. costs uh, or Hurt Locker. I was like, oh well, Hurt Locker probably costs a lot. No, it was 60 million, 50, yeah. 60 million. It, you're right. It's not the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's not the Irishmen that have been dominating in the best picture category for sure. So I'm curious to ask you about how they campaigned it, how they played it this year, because they refuted a report. Uh, this was a Wall Street Journal report, great article by Zach Scharf on IndieWire, that they spent over $100 million on Oscar campaigns. And this is a really interesting article because essentially Zach Scharf is like, listen, $100 million on Oscar campaigns for seven movies, that would be like lowballing it. That would, yeah, Of sure. course people spend that much on seven big movies when you have this these this many contenders. Of course. Uh, that would probably go 140 if you spent $20 million per, obviously. So I can do math. <laughs> but th- that's not a big deal. And they still refuted the fact that they did as much. Now the scuttlebutt around Hollywood and everybody we've seen the interview said they were spreading around the love. Right throughout the, their campaigns, and they were making a lot of these creators happy. They were winning a lot of them over by pushing their stuff, yeah. and it definitely pays off in that slate that I mentioned at the top of the show yeah. about all of these movies winning or getting nominated at all the big precursors. Right, right. 
So I'm wondering how you think they played it because there's also the, in that report it says they did kind of angle it more towards Marriage Story and the Irishman at the end of the day. Of course they would after the 10 and 6 right. nom totals. Yeah. So how do you think they played it overall? Do you think they served two masters essentially? Do you think they pleased everyone? Are they trying to do that? Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, and we've been kind of alluding to, they, they are – first and foremost just trying to get these people to come to netflix first and then everything else is just gravy, gravy. so they're gonna I they're gonna gravy. try to oh, yeah of course <laughs> let's talk 10 minutes on gravy now please <laughs> the, the yeah the 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 sauce gravy like the italian version of gravy and actual gravy i'm both. all about it so <laughs> and this is kind of what netflix is doing they're splitting up their right. gravies even so they got <laughs> it's a gravy train that just won't stop so they have Ten movies, you know, paring down to seven, and then you got to kind of... I think, they're again, they're a young studio. Mm -hmm. Just like any other young studio, they're going to make missteps. They're going to make mistakes. They don't realize where they're going. They've already made their inroads with TV. Right. Like, the, the, the minute Crushing they decided it. that they were going to start producing their own films mm -hmm. and owning their own stuff, which a lot of TV networks did on top of that, they're not new to this game. They kind of saw what the what how that was happening on TV, and then they're like, "Oh, well, let's just do that for t uh, for movies too, and then we're gonna do the kind of movies that we want to see on top of it." So because everybody was like, "Oh, why do we keep paying these rights deals? Why do we keep doing this?" When they get somebody big to come in, it's like, "Yeah, we'll make your passion project, but we own the whole thing." You know, so because that's what they need. They need it to live on Netflix forever. Same thing with like, why do people still have HBO subscriptions? Because everything they've ever made by themselves is there that and it will be in perpetuity. That rewatch of The Sopranos is always good. I know. It's always great. But that's my point. Yes. People will never leave that because that's what they have to offer and it only lives there. So now when people are pairing off in the streaming wars, mm -hmm. they need to have their own library to be like, Oh, you wanted to watch all you wanted to binge watch Stranger Things? Sorry, it only lives here. So if you leave because you got Disney Plus and you can't afford both, sorry, you're probably going to want to come back. All right, side question really quick. Do yeah. you have a hunch cuz I have a hunch that at some point Apple is going to buy HBO and HBO Max even though that was teased years ago, years ago. and I think now is not the time unless right because you know, there's rumors that uh DirecTV is basically just on its death store. Right. So as that part of the AT&T Warner merger has their fallouts mm -hmm. from all their stuff, that, projects that they merge together. Let's see what happens with Warner me, like their streaming service and everything else before all that. Uh, because they have a lot of stuff that they did for this. I would really be shocked if at this stage they went, here you go, Apple. But I would say I've also listened to some, I'll try, try to keep this brief, but like, Apple mm -hmm. is not in the same game as HBO and Netflix and even Disney. Like, they all kind of are playing different games. Right. Apple just wants you to have stuff on your phone. They don't chase these little ticket That's items. A great point. They care more about the headphones that are in your ears yes. than they care that they you know, have a huge slate of movies and TV things. They want they want you to open up iTunes or, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. and they want you to see Jennifer Aniston's face. They want you to be like, oh, cool, something else for me to be on my phone, that iPhone with. 
They care about that. So it's a different conversation. Amazon it, wants to buy you groceries. Uh, yeah. Apple wants all your tech to be Apple. Yeah. And That's so they're thing. they're not playing the same game. Netflix and HBO, on the other hand, mm-hmm. are kind of tr- pairing off, being like, "We have the content, get out That's of my way." So and you then, think Netflix is kind of eyeing up HBO Max more than they're eye, you know, going toe to toe with Amazon yeah. or perhaps uh, uh, Apple there. And even Disney Plus, I think a lot of people thought Disney Plus was going to knock Netflix down, like for the count mm-hmm. they're not playing the same game for no. anyone who has disney plus outside of something like the mandalorian which they're seeing is the actual buzzworthy thing mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's it's a back catalog game and yeah, it's a video collection of all your favorite disney stuff at the moment even though they're doing some original content like i watched a disney plus show for like six episodes where it basically is a creation of disneyland sure and but again they're that's, trying to sell right theme park tickets right exactly that again that's exactly what yeah. they're doing for sure you're you hit the nail on the head so they're they just want you on their platforms and they want your email address they want a right. different thing than what netflix and I, hbo are i doing. do wonder if disney plus eventually wants to do what netflix is doing because of the acquisition of searchlight and searchlight could make movies for the streaming platform if this is where everything's going eventually and of course buena vista has been in the oscars game they have been as studio they've had oh, they have all their you know subsidiaries disney does yeah. just like any big major studio but you guys have years. seen it over the years you guys yeah. are an oscar campaign disney of all people mm-hmm. weirdly doesn't campaign hard for awards no they don't they, care they want to be at the cool kids table in a way but they yeah. but they don't care if they have the box office coming in they don't necessarily yeah. they're they like rather... did you see frozen 2 made a billion dollars <laughs> you jack they, like, don't they don't care that's they don't very care. very true like yeah. could they get another technical nomination for the rise of skywalker oh yeah probably cool if they pushed it oh did john williams get in again great Avengers we Endgame, don't care they probably you know taking the pulse early if it's not going to be black panther yeah. then why bother really pushing it that hard pretty much and they they, they do recognize this and Unfortunately, that's that. I think Searchlight is going to be very interesting to watch. They made some decent acquisitions out of Sundance, so that kind of per, you know piqued my interest. Right. Kind of like, oh, they are going to operate as usual, but are they going to be able to compete still with some of these other shows, including Netflix? But you're right. Disney Plus is not going for the original movie Oscar game yet. They're going yeah. TV now. I wonder if they're almost you know using the Netflix paradigm and how Netflix grew into this movie studio that it is today yeah. because they're going TV first. Yeah. Disney Plus is. Well, because, again, it also lends to they have all the franchises. Mm -hmm. So they're going to exhaust all these things that are going to have the the tentacles off the MCU. They're going to go with that first because it makes sense because Mm -hmm. they have built-in characters. They have people under contract. It makes a lot of sense for them to do that and try to get people to stay on the platform that way while they're still figuring it out. Netflix basically was like, all right, we got a bunch of money from doing the dvd thing for yeah. forever this is where it's going they've always been smart if you want something to to look at especially me who obviously is uh, in bed with the whole netflix deal here <laughs> if you want to see like should i be worried that netflix is going to go away it's going to get knocked out of these people look at their history and how far ahead they've been of every beat because they're tech first yes and then that they, they know what people want 
They have the all the information. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> like money is great. And mm-hmm. Bezos or any of these other people, Disney, they're going to have the money to kind of make the pivots when they need to. But the person who's going to probably be ahead of everybody in terms of moves or seeing the landscape should be and will be probably Netflix. I don't disagree. That's that's an awesome conversation. I'm glad we spun off into it. But uh, the second half of this show was always my dream to get into a few of next year's contenders because I love preview shows and I know our fans do as well. Yeah. So you did so much more than that. Like we have a ton to talk <laughs> about. I, I can't wait here. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of kind of rip them off and maybe we can riff on it here. Sergio, Ana de Armas is, it's going to be the year of Ana de Armas. We think. Yeah. She's coming out with blonde later on in the season from the director of, uh, the assassination of, uh, Jesse James. Yeah. Coward Robert Ford. That's supposed to be her big acting vehicle, but she's going to start to plant the seeds of hey i'm yeah. a great actress she's doing a movie for director greg barker like i said in april april 17th i believe he was uh the director of the obama documentary the final year mm. anna de armas coming off the golden globe nomination from knives out what do you think of those two projects is she going to be this well year she's also Laura going to be Dern? a bond girl how'd you overlook yeah, that that's buddy? right I've, i mean no time to die yeah no time like the present uh so she's capitalizing 100 percent. i mean everybody kind of saw it once she had the golden globe nomination once that she, she might have blade runner 2025 i mean or 2049, 2049 she was yeah. awesome in that movie too yeah but you're right yeah she's peeking up and Everybody's starting to pay attention, and she's capitalizing. She's got a million projects. I mean, look at something like Adam Driver this year where he had, like, four projects and with franchise work, with small work, mm-hmm. with all these things. When you got it, you just ride with it, and she is doing that right now. Uh, the problem, I would say, as far as the Netflix angle goes, hopefully they'll get a lot of eyeballs to it because she's in the limelight right now, yes. but this is one of those movies that they brought to Sundance, and it was not as well received as they hoped. Oh. They said that Diarmas and the Lee are very good, but overall the movie, you know, doesn't doesn't work as something that's going to have legs going forward. Well, you just brought me down on my hype train, but that's good. <laughs> that's why you're here. That's yeah. why I wanted to talk. Hey, to you so again, badly. I haven't seen it yet, so right. I can't speak to it. But again, uh, coming out of Sundance, different stance mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. Netflix. Last year they had they did more acquisitions than actual showcasing this year you're seeing like them being a bigger dog now that they brought here's our goods and then we'll acquire a few things on the back end to flush out our year that's awesome and then it didn't work in some cases or maybe it did you know with the the last thing he wanted in d reese because that was an epic disaster yes exactly so i mean for what they brought Mm -hmm. there we'll we'll get to it as far as the previews for something especially that's going to have oscar legs going forward they do have a few that they brought to sundance for that right but then they did have catastrophes (laughs) like like d reese here so we have and then you got the stuff in between, the stuff that's just going to kind of keep people interested on the platform. Like, I just released an episode today for Horse Girl. They brought that. Yes. Uh, Allison Breeze. Sure. Yeah, they brought that. That was her kind of passion project. Deals with her mental illness stuff and her family. That Cool. Bring love, that project out there. I love all your episodes with Mel V. She's so awesome. <laughs> I was just to throw it out of the way here. There. I appreciate that, man. You guys cool. go on a, like a 10-minute riff on horse girls and how you yes. don't like that. Yeah. And that was perfect. Well, so. this is what happens when you have a guy uh, like myself who has 
like a film degree, yep. works in in TV and yep. film, but also is a comedian for the last ten years. So I'll bring my comedian friends. We'll we'll take we'll take things apart in a different way You'll than enjoy other people. But, hating things, yes, as comedians, which <laughs> but I as respect. much as loving things. Yes. So it's great. It's great to Excellent. see uh, you know how it goes because we could talk script writing, but we can also talk about real things or we could talk about the humor behind things that maybe people won't pick up on i but, knew there was a reason i loved your show so much <laughs> thanks man i appreciate that so but sundance for them they they got you know a few documentaries that have huge legs they're they're immediately putting their stamp like we just won and then we're gonna win again they made a big splash with the tandem of going from sundance to winning the oscar right. for for best documentary feature so we you know, get to those now, yeah. Yeah, yeah so you got Crip Camp. So you're bringing back the Obama production company, mm-hmm. bringing back another big heavy hitter. And, I mean, obviously that pedigree helped American Factory, I think, get across the finish line. So that got a huge amount of buzz. And then the other one that got through is Dick Johnson is Dead. Which I confused which, with the death of Dick Long. Yes, a lot and of that people That was have. the actual documentary of that other horse movie. Yes. Oh, my God. Everybody <laughs> watch that movie. I Just email me your reactions yeah. to the plot <laughs> twist. That's what I want. That's what yeah. I want in life. I want to see quick little. It could be a TikTok even. Yeah, I don't sure. even know what a TikTok is. But I, I think it's a short video. Give yeah. me a TikTok. Sure. You're watching a Quibi. I don't know for anyone who saw the Super Bowl. No. Sure. Give me a seven to ten video, minute Dick video. Johnson is dead. Is not the death of Dick Long. Yeah. Two documentaries. Where I'm, and I'm guessing there's it's this is huge multiply buzz. into five documentaries at the end of the day because they'll have their issue movies. They'll have their political docs for sure coming out as well. Yeah. So those two and there's more. There are other ones that came out through but those are the two that were kind of the big deal and then they had some other acquisitions come through but they had and miss americana for how much uh you know people love taylor swift you know they they got a lot of attention for it whether it's going to have something that's going to have any implications on your podcast going forward i doubt but but do the sundance stats and sundance has a great track record for documentaries getting best picture nominations at the end of the day so would it shock me if miss americana is just it's getting film festival love because it's kind of a unique documentary you know as well uppity the same same deal i mean that that one actually actually had real substance i wouldn't be shocked at all yeah i mean miss americana kind of placates the it's a showcase it's a platform sundance was a platform to kind of go this is coming, yeah. and then boom, it's right on your television, which is the, the Netflix effect, right? You can kind of garner some buzz in an organic sense, of course, that they're kind of paying for, but, you know, in an organic sense, like a Sundance Festival, right. and then bam, it's right there on your on your television to go see what all the fuss is about. But they do have pedigree in that doc. You know, you got the creators of 20 Feet from Stardom, which won the uh, best documentary Oscar years ago, which was which I discovered actually on Netflix. Yeah. And again, planting seeds and harvesting them. But I guess we can shift into the kind of the live action stuff. We have, I'm thinking of ending things. Charlie Kaufman wrote yeah. Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, won a couple Oscars, I believe, back back when I was you know, in film school myself. I was a Char- Charlie Kaufman nerd, for better or for worse. Adaptation is one of the best screenplays I've ever re- uh, read. Love it. And for writers, it's it's both our a blessing and a curse for yeah. telling us so much about ourselves. 
This is starring Jesse Buckley. We just talked about Anna de Armas, Tony Collette, Jesse Plemons, David Thewlis is also in it. We have an unexpected detour causes a, causes a woman who is trying to figure out how to break up with her boyfriend to rethink her life. Now, I read the premise because Mike and I have previewed a Charlie Kaufman movie about a 30-hour-long <laughs> movie. And it's about yeah. a film critic sitting through a 30-hour-long movie. I don't think this is it, starring Jesse Buckley. <laughs> no. No. I'm glad it's not it. Yeah. Although Netflix could do that. They could yeah. show all 30 hours if they wanted to. For sure, yeah, if they wanted to. But th- this is getting, on all the articles from The Observer, for everybody predicting next year's slate of Oscar movies, this is getting some buzz because it has a comeback narrative for Charlie Kaufman, writer-director. Here. Yeah, because like you said, he hasn't had that kind of steam behind a movie of his since adaptation or since eternal sunshine whichever right uh, you know like basically that early a late 90s early 2000s kind of vibe he was he hit his stride and then yeah kind of went a different way the title is a bit of a downer i must say like, oh they for should sure. change the title to <laughs> something else like adaptation eternal sunshine into spotless mind yeah they go out through their roller yeah. coaster rides but they're yeah yeah. And obviously, he's the mind behind being John Malkovich too. Definitely. Like he, he definitely, uh, you know, had a strong second half of the '90s into the early 2000s. But you're right. If this turns into something that kind of harks back to that, absolutely, it'd be great to see. Especially, you know, him be up for best original screenplay would probably be the the top shelf probably for this because he's sure. that kind of guy. Um, I can definitely see that going forward, and I hope for it because I, I am a fan, and I think he's gotten lost in the weeds a little bit. Uh, I wonder if this is his The Meyerowitz stories, though. And yeah. Next year or the year after we get the Charlie Kaufman Best Original Screenplay nom, like Marriage Story went for Bombac. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's you, still cutting his teeth as a writer and director, Charlie Kaufman. True, very true. So, yeah, I mean, that would be great. If they want to use him uh, like uh, as a comeback story and a and a test <laughs> for for what he can do for them going forward absolutely that's totally fine with me because i just want to see him do more stuff in the world and netflix a lot of times like you said just brings in content creators these people that have a pedigree whether it's been a minute since they've been relevant or they have this project that they've always wanted to do that no one would let them do this is where they do it so we'll see what this version of charlie kaufman ends up being couple quick little snippets. We have The Old Guard, which is Charlie Theron, Chiwetel, Edgio 4. We have the director of Love and Basketball, Gina Prince Bythewood, uh, who th- that was a secret favorite of Mike and I's uh, yeah. when we did our basketball movies pod. We did a basketball movies awards show that nobody listened to. Nobody <laughs> liked it, but we loved it. We yeah. were preparing it. So that's coming out. We have, uh, and that's from the director of Secret Life of Beast too, which I believe had some award season success. Mm. Tiger Tail is from writer director Alan Yang, who won an Emmy for writing Master of None. Is this? Yeah, one and those, he was at Parks and Rec before that. Is yeah. this one of those seeds to plant a multi generational tale of one family from 1950s Taiwan to present? day new york yeah and then we have another sundance acquisition the 40 year old version uh from director rada blank she's a writer for she's gotta have it the tv series yeah sold for mid to high seven figures per vulture they're hoping that she's one of those kind of like crossover multi-platform success people that they can ride going forward because part of the angle of this is that not only did she write and direct this but she her character Mm -hmm. uh that she's in is also a rapper and she is also a rapper so like you're gonna see this is a showcase piece 
gotcha. for her, and we'll see where that ends up taking it. But that's Netflix's hope that it kind of like elevates her status and becomes this kind of maybe inter- you know social media sensation that can kind of propel her projects all staying on Netflix going forward. Wow, great intel. But I have to transition now into the big movies because we have many of them, and I never thought we'd have so many of them. Ryan Murphy's got two. Yeah. He's got The Prom. The Prom, I think, is is the one that people kind of talk about more. Yeah. A troop of hilarious, hilariously self-obsessed theater stars swarm into a small conservative Indiana town, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think it's mostly the cast that's going to get people to really perk up when you have Meryl Streep and Nicole Kidman in the same yeah. movie doing a musical, uh, you know, or something in that vein, a Broadway movie. Mm-hmm. You're going to... That's, I think, going to get a lot of attention. And Ryan Murphy, uh, hopefully, you know, because he has two projects, one will kind of piggyback the other and kind of bring them both, you know, a lot of attention. This year is insane. Isn't it insane how usually there's like years and years where there's no musicals or no musicals of note, especially. And this year we got West Side Story from Spielberg. You got In the Heights and now Ryan Murphy throwing it. So, yeah, absolutely. And people are going to just eat that up on Netflix watching oh, these big yeah. budget musicals. Are you kidding me? That yeah, is going to do. They do terrific. They are totally uh, going to knock that out of the park. Yeah. And what was the other one from Ryan Murphy? The other one is the Boys in the Band, which yes. uh, is another adaptation of a Broadway play as well. The normal heart writer director, I believe, is doing that. I think so. I, I won Emmys. Yeah. yeah. So. The Five Bloods. I wasn't sure going into today if you Spike hit that Lee's, hard D, right, Mike? I'm trying to say it <laughs> as I only I can say it. Sorry. Yeah. Spike Lee is going to Netflix, and yeah. again, they got into the Spike Lee business with a few documentaries, I believe. But also, she's got to have a yeah. TV series, yep. which was a big move for them. And now Spike Lee is in their camp. Chadwick Boseman, Paul Walter Hauser, etc., etc. Group yeah, of boy. veterans. But he is he is a great guy to talk to. We had a blast. And it, it was one of those fan things. Like, Mike and I don't do a ton of interviews. Yeah. It's just not our, our bag necessarily. But, like, I think we're going to – the people we really love, we're going to bug them. And so <laughs> they come on our show. Yes. Shout out to house. Scott Feinberg. For, <laughs> yeah, those two are, like, the first two casualties. And we had a blast talking to both of them. And they dropped some serious knowledge on, on us, yeah. which was a lot of fun, too. Yeah. But, you know, so we have this Vietnam War return. Uh, for for Spike Lee, we have the return of yeah. Paul Walter Hauser in yeah. this movie. This could be a huge contender. It could be She Hate Me. We don't know what it's going to be from Spike Lee. Yeah, I'm hoping this doesn't end up being the equivalent to last year's Triple Frontier, where mm-hmm. it kind of is like, you know, a, a director of note, a bunch of big-time actors. Uh, by the way, also the return of Delroy Lindo. I hadn't seen that name in wow, forever. He's in this movie name. as well. Uh, but so... You know, obviously, Triple Frontier was a project that, on its face, could have had a bigger contender type season. You got, sure. you know, and because Affleck is good in it, it's, uh, you know, he was having, uh, he's been having kind of a renaissance. He's got a couple of films this year, I believe, that have some serious uh, buzz for himself. He's working with Matt Damon again for one of them, him the and Adam Driver. Yes. Yeah, it's gonna Scott. be good. Yeah, so you got a lot of things going on with him. I think again, they just hit it right beforehand. The, it wasn't the right movie, and I'm hoping that Spike, being a much you know more prominent seasoned director, uh, can put this across the finish line, uh, take that Black Klansman momentum, and kind of you know really get it. Or Netflix will go, 
God damn it, why did he have to win anything for Black Klansman? It would have been the story for Netflix oh, to be like, yeah, we're sure. the ones who's going to put Spike Lee into the Oscar circle and see where that but goes. But is he really in the Oscar circle yet? I know he won one finally, but yes. I, I still want the Spike Lee year, like Scorsese had, like hopefully Tarantino will get. I want. I Spike, hope for yeah. it. He got robbed at least once, if not multiple times, oh, in his over his career. Yes, sir. So, I mean, you're talking someone who absolutely deserves that kind of love but again this year i don't when you're looking at the outside of netflix landscape Mm -hmm. are you thinking that this could have a possibility amongst anybody else well it's got the pedigree with the cast and the crew of course uh i wonder if it takes spike lee another year of getting like eight noms like if if the movie has the goods yeah and it could it's got an emotional core to this one yeah where all these ex-soldiers going back to vietnam that could that could be that sounds to me like a potential oscar yeah just on plot yeah if if he goes and he knocks it out of the park does he need a year where all right i got eight noms for this one i won maybe paul walter hauser supporting actor nod or chadwick boseman gets a uh you know lead actor nomination does he need one more year like that before he makes his quote-unquote Oscar movie that is knocked out of the park and wins it all? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I hope that, like I said, I hope that for him. And But obviously we're going to talk about someone who will be contending right up against him, you yes. know, even for Netflix, even if obviously, and we said Charlie Kaufman and Ryan Murphy already too. So I think I have a bad feeling this year is going to be dominated by those musicals. Okay. And I think that the rest of the movies will be kind of playing catch up. That's fascinating. I never thought that would be your your t- your take here today. But Ryan Murphy has had a ton of success, so I, I can see that. The will. Oh, I mean, overall, I think right. in the Heights really? feels like uh, Side Story. Uh, These movies are going to be there. Th- they were already at the Oscars. The movie hasn't come out. <laughs> yeah. With their in- uh, the introduction of an introduction uh, <laughs> method that the Oscars did this year. So the Willoughby's is the big animated feature possibility yeah. right now. I'm looking at this premise. It says, convinced they'd be better off raising themselves, the Willoughby children hatch a sneaky plan. Whatever yeah. it's going to happen from then, kids raising themselves? I know. An animated movie? Doesn't it almost sound like it should be the Wes Anderson movie that came out this year? Yeah, <laughs> <true>. <laughs> he could make a good movie about kids raising themselves. I like think so. In or in live action. I'm yeah, sure. absolutely. So they're probably going to have one or two other acquisitions or you know yeah, movies, projects that we're just not aware of yet that can contend for animated because now they know they can contend for animated feature yeah like my, you said. my thing is uh the one thing that drives me nuts hmm. as a netflix podcaster and as something uh where you're trying to to forecast what means something to netflix and what doesn't i hate that we don't have release dates for anything beyond <laughs> like a month um, that's something that drives me crazy. I mean, the fact that you saw uh, <laughs> the the D. Reese movie, the last thing he wanted, see that come out immediately in January, you know that movie was going to bomb or Correct. that it bombed. But I do think the plan going in, I mean, they got to know what they have at this point. They're, they're content people. They know what level things are at. Yeah. They, at least they have a, a clue. But I think for a bunch of these movies, like you said earlier, they take them to Sundance, they'll take them to camp, maybe they won't take them to camp, but they'll take them to the other festivals, 
And if you see what goes to Cannes or Toronto or any of the major, that's when you know that's what they care about. And that's probably why they're leaving the release dates open. Because yes. they're leaving, you know, the month of putting them in theaters, the three weeks at least. And yeah. they're leaving those time frames open at this point. And it makes good sense because the next six months they're still going to be figuring things out regarding yeah. these movies. And I'd be curious to see what Netflix documentaries get that theatrical release before they land on the platform yeah. and which animated films do the same. Because, you know, again, they, they have a track record now of not only, you know, winning in those categories. Well, I don't know if they've won animated yet, but they have a track record of. Doing no, well. but they've, they're just starting to hit their peak now with two no, multiple nominated movies. The only quibble before we get into these big three movies, the only quibble I would have is that they, they don't have a great. You know, slate of female directed films. I I'd agree with that. We do have the Rada Blank movie, but that's more. Of, it seems like an investment. Who knows? Maybe it'll you yeah. know hit, catch fire like Lula Wong did in only her second movie. But and again, I think it, it to its point. Like I didn't know really who Lula Wong was before mm-hmm. this year. There's a lot of people who kind of caught fire this year, or broke out this year. Right. I wonder if there's some of those still yet to be release to open and i'm keeping my fingers crossed because the minaris that you know burst onto the scene at sundance hopefully netflix can get yeah a, f- a few movies because we need a more balanced oscar nomination slate this year yeah for sure because it's just absurd that that's not have happening and it's systemic we mike and i have gone 15 rounds on it before not arguing with each other but arguing sure. with the industry that it, that it's not happening it's progressing but it's still too slow and I mean, and also just to not make Netflix seem like <laughs> they're a monster or anything, but the, you know, because obviously there's a larger issue, but the, right. they do are, they, they're one of the best things they're good at is documentary feature. And a yes. lot of those that have been contending are either uh, male and female, uh, two headed monsters or female directed things that they've been in the camp for too so i don't think that they've kind of backed out of those things uh or or you know i don't know i i just don't think anything's on purpose i just hope for the same as you that we hear more things coming here in the future or that there's larger deals like i mean ali wong for instance is somebody that they're they took from we see how big her comedy specials were we want to be in her camp always be my maybe comes out and future things with her are going to occur. So I think once they get their hands on something, Correct. they can utilize it. But it it is a two-way street, too. Atlantics, you know, sure. American Factory, like you said. Yeah. And uh, they, they had uh, several more that actually got awarded last year yeah. on their slate. Knocked down the house. We wouldn't have known about probably at this point last year. That's our hope right now, but it definitely wanted to address it. Now, we do have the big three movies, and Hillbilly Elegy yeah. could, to me, it could go either way. N- number one, I see a few warning signs. Ron <laughs> Howard is warning sign number one. He has yeah. not made a great movie in a while. True. Uh, Vanessa Taylor has written The Shape of Water, but that book, Andrew, has been on my Audible <laughs> queue forever. I just don't want to read it. This is about a drug-addicted mother, Amy Adams. Yeah. Glenn Close is a foul-mouthed grandmother. That can go either way. She's a debutante from Greenwich, an intellectual from Greenwich, playing now a hillbilly grandma. Right, yeah. Will we buy it, or will we just feel like it's Oscar-grabby because we saw it the last couple years? The movie that feels the most Oscar-grabby necessarily doesn't play on people. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, for a while there, like you guys kind of covered it on your podcast, the 
the Irishman kind of lost steam. Yes. Uh, it had this huge momentum and then it lost steam. And I think part of it was because it was being sold as this slam dunk of events. It like had its it's Scorsese. It's Pacino. Right. It's De Niro. It's all these people. It's the return of Pesci. It's got this huge cast. It seemed to knock off once upon a time in Hollywood as the number one contender for the right. best picture award when NBR picks it as its movie of the year, I believe. It's yeah. in the top ten. Yeah. And then you had all the podcasts were like, this is where I get a lot of my intel because I listen to every single podcast. Of course, yeah. And the big picture, they're like, the Irishman's the one to beat. Yeah. And then 1917 comes out. And then, of course, everybody remembers that the movie of the year is Parasite. Yeah. And this is one of the most fascinating things we talked about with Brian Formo of, of Fandango on our kind of like epilogue yeah. Oscars episode, if I can shamefully pitch another show of ours. <laughs> sure. We kind of went in. We I wanted to get out of him did he think parasite winning was such a big upset and at the end of the day no it really wasn't no because it was that movie of the year all along winning people over at every festival bong joon ho charming the pants off of every single person ever and is ron howard gonna do that for a hillbilly elegy is going close gonna is this gonna be her acting vehicle that gets her over the top we don't know to me again i just see red flags with this one in particular but it is getting touted as that big adaptation that you know adapted screenplay wouldn't shock me at the as a floor for yeah this movie. i could see that uh you know and and ron howard will do the song and dance and he's well liked uh amongst the hollywood circles the mm-hmm. award circles as well so this is not his first rodeo and again that's the one thing too when you look at best picture winners of the last decade nobody's been like Oh, here, and actually, probably the Oscars in general, you see a lot of people who are like, this is first-time winner. This right. is a first-time winner. This is the first-time winner. Ron Howard, he's done it. Been he's there, done, done his thing. So He has a beautiful mind himself. Yeah. So I, I don't know if this is going to cross that finish line. Like you were saying, maybe a screenplay nod. Maybe you were saying in the pre-show, maybe this is the make good for Glenn Close finally getting across. It just seems like it might be something that would occur. I but, guess if she pulls it off, the yeah. debutante intellectual from Greenwich, yeah, playing the hillbilly grandma, I would, I it, it would be interesting. That's all I'm saying. It would yeah. be ironic in a way. Because oh, she's absolutely. Such, you know, in prestigious costume dramas, so for, if she gets out yeah. there, I don't, I don't want to. Maybe the wife her... set her over the edge, man. She's just like, <laughs> I'm gonna just do it down and dirty for the rest of my time here. Could be. I just don't want to hear her, you know, going down south like Hillary Clinton used to do, or like <laughs> Renee Zellweger's accent comes out if she yeah. has a southern accent at any point. She, I took quite could... an offense to you guys ripping Renee's accent. <laughs> she's from Texas, I for know, God's sake. She can't hear the accent ever yeah. until she's nervous in a speech yes, that, yeah. right before the Oscars. Yeah, it's the same way like a news anchor who's been, you know, from South Carolina his whole life. You know, Stephen Colbert every now and then, you know, will just like dial up that Southern accent because he's like, oh, wait, what? What? what, what? And just kind of like, you know, takes over him. Well, every time I'm nervous, I'll get into my Connecticut nasally voice. Yeah, exactly. This will happen when I'm nervous now. And I will just be free. I will be free to go there. Yeah. All right. Mank. David yes. Fincher. Can't wait. This is going to be about Herman Mankiewicz, yes. writer of Citizen Kane. Yes. He did not get the credit or he got co-credit. I forget the, the end of the actual story. but And the co- screenplay is written by Fincher's father before his wow. passing. So this is a long time coming. 
uh, for Fincher. It's a very personal screenplay for him and a personal project of his, which I'm glad is coming to light. Uh, obviously, it's a tough sell to most studios. So the fact that he had a relationship with Netflix, this gets, uh, you know, this is this is like the Dolomite story in a way. We're like Dolomite. Nobody wanted to make that movie with Murphy when it was happening. And it took a series of events to, to get that that script was around for 15 years i think before it got made so this one i don't know if it's been that long but it's been quite a long time obviously his father passed away Mm -hmm. since writing it so put put that into perspective but so fincher been a long time since he's you know brought a movie out he's obviously been producing and directing television doing a great job yes god i want him back in this circle so bad makes the most addictive movies we've, we've kind of gone over with each other on yeah. and off mike uh, I, th- I think we're considering a you know david fincher rewatch series down the line couldn't we, hurt i uh, would love to the do man's that prolific. at some point he's one of my favorite directors i just wonder if this is a passion project that lands like dolomite is my name that lands like roma or somewhere in between? I feel like it's got to be somewhere in between. Just because, obviously, it's not an international feature, so it's not going to be limited in its scope as far as like attention. It's not the fun ride that it is for Dolomite, so right. they can't market it that way. I, ha- I have a feeling because, you know, it, it does deal with Hollywood demons. So, like, you know, whether that plays anymore. I haven't seen a movie that kind of... Uh, there's always that thing. I mean, they said it a lot with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that Hollywood loves rewarding and looking at, like, old versions of itself. Like, kind of like, oh, this glorified version or or kind of looking at the business as the way it should be. Right. Is this part of that? I don't think so. The, the story Oscars, doesn't seem to be something on everybody's lips. The Oscars go through cycles, right? I mean, Argo hits as being a movie by movie makers for movie makers as much as it's for the general public. The right. Shape of Water has that aspect to it. Yeah. This year you get Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, one of the ultimate make goods on that kind of a film. Yeah. That genre of movie for and about movie makers. Right. We and TV makers, etc., about the industry, the love letter to Hollywood that doesn't hit, but maybe next year it does hit because we're ready yeah. for that movie again. Maybe there's not the phenomenon available. And a lot of times, it's is it a weak year? Right. Is it does it get an opening? I mean, this year was, oh my god, it was easily. I, I, don't, I don't. I obviously listen one to you guys. Years, yeah. It was one of the best years in a long time, and definitely. I would definitely say. Of the decade, mm-hmm. it's the best year. So Gary Oldman, Amanda Seedfried, they're getting the most buzz early on here. Who knows? Maybe it'll be that marriage story kind of a little bit more of a vegetables movie at the end of the day, but it's still Fincher. It's still addictive. It's still yeah. all-consuming, and it gets five or six nods for screenplay and a few performances. And yeah, and you know it's going to look great. It's going to be dark and haunting and, and be. everything Cinematography, that, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I can definitely see that happening with Fincher as well. The wild card for me here, and I call this a wild card, <laughs> yeah. is Ben Wheatley's remake of Rebecca, the yeah. Alfred Hitchcock Best Picture winner yeah lily james army hammer Kristen scott thomas yeah this guy just came off of high rise and free fire this guy makes the wackiest movies yeah (laughs) is he going to be the yorgos lanthimos in terms of his career arc and put rebecca into the oscars is this a knock on the door movie is the is he going to make a wacky rebecca is ben wheatley gonna play nice for the academy and right. have those you know smoother 
edges. I'm hoping that given the cast that it'll have more legs than say something that's bizarre mm-hmm. and attention grabbing like a movie like The Perfection did for them last year or something. <laughs> I could see this you know? being the perfection version of Rebecca though, couldn't you? Right, sure. I think if you're going to take a big swing and try to adapt Hitchcock and you're going to ha- bring these type of people along, I would hope mm-hmm. that it has a little bit more <laughs> of a higher, less playful stance than the perfection or at least you know high art version instead of just a De Palma ripoff like like the perfection was and I say that with I, I kind of like the perfection I kind of like it too the more but, I think about it but I mean you know hey it, it wasn't great. it's got penis removal in it so you know whatever you're gonna do <laughs> oh, it, you know it, it's got yeah it is what it is so the <laughs> but the point is is that this one I agree it could be a wild card but I would think it's more of a knocking on the door it's a statement for this director that they can do a, mm-hmm. this type of movie like kind of put what they do best but then fo- refocus it through something i mean when was the last time you saw an adaptation get big legs as far as like the oscars were concerned i mean like a star is born got a lot of nominations but it was up against it that it was like this long adaptation as far as like it's been remade four times you know those type of things i mean I can't remember the last time. A movie some, adaptation. That's a great question. Yeah, right, like a remake a that star, had remake. something to where it was you know, going to be a vehicle for an Oscar. A star is born. I'm kind of going through the list now. I mean, The King's Speech is an adaptation. Slumdog Millionaire and No Country for Old Men. And, 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 well, I mean, I have like a movie You're remake. Right. Yeah. Uh, a movie remake. Chicago, that's a musical remake. Yeah, which I don't think they did in a, an original version before that. I'm right? going back. Titanic, 1997. Yeah, that's okay. The la- I mean, just going down the list here, that is the last time a movie remake that I can tell won Best Picture. Holy shnikes. Yeah, so I mean, I can't see it. <laughs> if Netflix, of all things, won on a Hitchcock remake uh, with a wild card but director. This would be the gamble, though. I know, it'd be interesting. I, and I think that's what Netflix likes to do. They like to be interesting as much as they like to be in awards contention. Look, but I think, to me... I think the story is going to be, is it because, again, like I said, with a lot of the Oscar winners of this past decade, it's been somebody's first win. It's been kind of the make good Oscar, you know, because you got Del Toro winning. You got some of these bigger directors, you know, you got uh, Catherine Bigelow or you got, you know, name one. Right. So you got this type of story. Is it going to be a Spike Lee make good? Is it going to be a Fincher make good? Is it going to be Charlie Kaufman's, you know, push into a mainstream vehicle? I see those being more of a possibility mm-hmm. uh, or even the Ryan Murphy thing. Like maybe if his direction of the prom uh, somehow, if he, if Netflix makes the big musical in a year of musicals, you, that would be a hell of a story. You don't have to necessarily do the knock on the door project. Like yeah. Ryan Murphy's he's got, you know, prestige in TV, etc., we've seen those first-timers, Francis Ford Coppola, et cetera. Yeah. Not that they're first-timers, but one of their first few movies hit at yeah. the Oscar level, and they may not hit again until later in their career. Sam yeah. Mendes is a great example of this. Rarely do people win with the movie that they're known for. True. I mean, you know, maybe The Godfather is, like, an example. Uh, and even then, I think uh, Pacino didn't win the for the first godfather right 
I don't think he won. He didn't for win either, for either, right? Either. Yeah. So I mean, crazy. He won yeah. percent of a woman. For, oh, that's right. Yeah, he won percent of a woman. So I mean, you know, there's tons of those examples. I mean, yes. Brad Pitt just won his first Oscar, and he's had a huge career where Fight Club, name one. You know, he has so many yes. performances that he easily could have been. I think he was nominated for Twelve Monkeys too. Like he had a decent amount of opportunities, and yet here we are, first time. So what's the story this year? Who who's got it out, even outside of Netflix? You could probably tell me like who's who's got their eye on you know this is the first time in a long time or first time ever kind of a thing. Well, it's a great question. I think to tease it, my our next episodes, yeah, our next two Preview episodes stuff. in this series, we're going to try and land on something because we're going to make it a one hundred percent accurate pick. Yeah, at the end of the third episode in this particular series, we're not going to need to go over all the Netflix stuff because we did it in this episode. <laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah, no, I know. Is... We we said like we don't have to do a capsule for each movie, but then I went to a capsule yeah, for each yeah. movie, and I just had so much fun doing it with you because you got so so much great intel i'm fascinated by netflix slate this year i think last year was more of a given right and when we had pleasant surprises yeah. along the way this year of their major properties we have some real wild cards ben wheatley's rebecca i put it last for a reason because i think yeah. it could go either way but you could have the spike lee thing happen you could have the next lena waith or you can have the next up-and-comer take charge that we don't know about yet in terms of their film slate and we can have another movie just break through or we can have you know one of these big likely Manx or Hillbilly Elegies yeah. be Netflix's big push at the end of the day. Netflix's year is so fascinating. Gotta listen to the Nomcast MMOers and uh, I can't wait to, to you know live through these next nine months or it's really 12 months because the <laughs> end of end of february yeah is when next year's oscars are february 25th 28th we just got on the ride man it's going to take us a while but hopefully a lot of these pan out because uh i i don't want to be bored on this platform i want i want the stories i want the memes i want the the gifs i want the whole experience i want and i want award season like we did last year because i think it did great things uh, it got me to to hook up with you guys. It got me to get involved in the Oscar talk and everything else, and that was great. So hopefully more of that. We had a blast this year. We got to keep doing stuff together for sure. But yeah, you got Jesse Buckley and a Diarmas vehicles, Charlie Kaufman's to Spike Lee, Ron Howard and David Fincher kind of standbys as well with a Glenn Close wild card, a Ben Wheatley wild card. Yeah, what a year it's going to be for Netflix because it can't be it can't be boring because you never know. Alan Yang from Tiger Tail might be might knock it out of the park wouldn't shock me exactly yeah go, go netflix <laughs> yeah. cool shit on on netflix coming out this year